Welcome to a delicious hour of culinary conversation with Chef Jamie Gwen. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, trendsetters, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas to feed your soul. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and lifestyle tips, and you'll eat and drink like never before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen starts now. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, teaching you all the right moves from my kitchen to yours. Unleash your inner chef this hour because this is a discussion among foodies. Everything from chef secrets to culinary trends. I have restaurant news and kitchen gossip. And I'm all about grand travel and good health and living the best life. So you made the right choice. If you're flavor obsessed, then you're in the right place. Knowing the basics of cooking, I believe, gives you a platform to create brilliant levels of flavor and grand dishes. You'll always find me serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, by the way, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I'm delighted that you've joined me because today's tutorial to jumpstart this show is something I believe most of us love, and that is a good glass of wine. In fact, the conversation is more so about cooking with wine because I received a Facebook message from Bruce who wanted to know why cooking wine in a bottle is still sold on the shelves of supermarkets. And Bruce, I will agree with you. I'm not sure why either. Uh, but I do believe that there is great beauty in pouring a glass of wine and enjoying with friends and family. And of course, it's perfect pairing to food. I'm actually a professional chef by trade and a home cook like you and also a certified sommelier. And I recently married a gentleman in the wine industry as well. So we eat and drink very well, I will say. But whether you're raising your glass for a toast or pouring it into a stock pot to braise short ribs, I believe that wine is equally wonderful for cooking as it is for relishing in the glass. But what should you use to cook with versus what you should drink. Well, Karen McNeil, the wine educator and the wine Bible author, the only person, in fact, to have ever won every major wine award in the English language, you've heard her here as a guest on this show, wrote a terrific piece for Cooking Light magazine recently about the virtues of cooking with wine. And I believe, by the way, that you should cook with what you drink. So I'm sharing some of her good advice and my culinary and sommelier training with you right now. To me, the term cooking wine has two meanings. There's the wine you put in a dish, and then equally as important, it's the wine you sip while you cook. And I think there's a certainly wonderful experience in spending an evening concocting a delicious dish while you're sipping good wine for inspiration. Now, it's easy to find good wine to drink, and it's easy to find good wine to cook with. In fact, because we know that there are phenomenal wines of every varietal, from Malbec being the new Merlot to the continuing growth and popularity of Gewürztraminer and Riesling and Viognier, you can buy a great bottle from $10 on up. And oftentimes when it comes to cooking, you should consider that the quality of wine you enjoy drinking and the flavor profile that you enjoy sipping is what will lend itself to equally flavorful results in what you're cooking. So here are some guidelines to help you make the best pick 
when you're cooking with wine. If a recipe calls for dry white wine and you're left to wonder, what should I use? I think the all-around best choice is a good quality American Sauvignon Blanc. I mention American because I find Australian Sauvignon Blanc tends to be a little bit tinny. You definitely taste the aluminum vat. Um, So I believe an American Sauvignon Blanc offers you the very dry sort of fresh, light, herbal feel and flavor that will enhance nearly any dish. Sauvignon Blanc is a perfect food pairing. So it drinks well with the dish as well, but it's perfect to cook with. Now, if you're preparing a dish with ethnic flavors or if it's bold, spicy, full of aromatics, then you want an aromatic white wine. So the Gewürztraminers, the Rieslings and the Viognier's of the world, even Gruner Veltliner, we call that groovy, has that dynamic fruity flavor and exotic floral aroma and it will pair very well with heavily spiced dishes if you're looking for white wine. Now, if a recipe calls for dry red wine, like maybe you're doing a a leg of lamb since it's fall and we're starting to eat the gamier meats once again, I would go for Zinfandel or a Pinot Noir, let's say, a little less powerful, in fact. And then I think you should definitely get to know Port and Madeira and Marsala and Sherry if you don't know them well already. I think that these are some of the best wines that good cooks should have on hand. They are fortified wines. They have a little more alcohol than table wine. They actually will stay in your liquor cabinet or your pantry forever, but they have intense flavor, which is why we all love veal or chicken Marsala for that beautiful reduction sauce, of course. Now, port is one that you should consider for all of your hearty meat dishes. If you are braising short ribs, a combination of port and red wine reduced down before it goes into the sauce is outrageous. But most importantly, and Bruce, this should answer your question, I hope, you always want to avoid using cooking wine. There are so many far better choices than what is still called cooking sherry and available on supermarket shelves. It is a very inexpensive wine, but it's been salted. It's been definitely um, enhanced with salt to hopefully make it taste better. Uh, and food coloring has been added. So please don't use it. My greatest rule when it comes to cooking with wine is that you should never cook with a wine that you wouldn't drink. A poor quality wine will contribute poor quality flavor to a dish. Julia Child once said, and I quote, if you do not have a good wine to use, it is far better to omit it for a poor one can spoil a simple dish and utterly debase a noble one, she said. Well, I think it's worth the investment to buy good quality wine to drink and to cook with. And you always want to sip a little as you stir because my most favorite Julia quote has always been a little wine for the sauce, a little wine for me. Southern California food lovers, are you shopping at Smart and Final stores for all of your weekly grocery needs? Well, if you haven't been to a Smart and Final store lately, they are better than ever, offering you everything your supermarket does in terms of fresh produce, an impressive wine selection, fresh dairy, beautiful meats, everything from a club store with sizes large and small, though, and no membership fees required. That is the new and better than ever Smart and Final 
final. Plus, they have exclusive brands, just like national brands, and they guarantee them or your money back. Their cashiers are quick. The aisles are big enough that you can actually pass another shopping cart without hurting anybody. And for all of your weekly shopping needs, I hope you'll check out a Smart and Final store near you and let me know what you think. They do have the best values in town. This week, look for Foster Farms Whole Chicken at 89 cents per pound, fresh russet potatoes, a 10-pound bag for 99 cents, and they have a gas card sweepstakes going on. Win a $500 gas card. Learn more at smartandfinal.com. But please stay tuned because there is so much more delicious conversation coming up in your radio. We are celebrating the upcoming Jewish New Year with modern Rosh Hashanah recipes from Ilana Horwich. She created a meal and a spiel. She's an ex-stand-up comedian who loves to cook. And wait till you hear. She has inspired Rosh Hashanah recipes. Plus, Nan Chase will be with us. She is the author of Drink the Harvest. And she is all about the beauty of the garden as it corresponds to your glass. Yes, we're going to make meads, which are, by the way, all the trend, and ciders at home. Plus, Lisa Lin is here, our resident fitness guru, and she's coming clean about cleansing. You're going to want to hear this. Stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'll be right back. Sharing ideas and inspiration to eat better and live better every Sunday. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish holiday, begins on the evening of Wednesday, September 24th this year. And in Hebrew, Rosh Hashanah means literally head of the year as it marks the beginning of the Jewish year. There are many religious observances, but it's the food that most Jewish holidays are centered around that truly excites. On Rosh Hashanah, we eat apples dipped in honey to symbolize our desire for a sweet year. And there are many other special foods that have significance that symbolize blessings. Blessings and abundance. And Ilana Horwich is here today to help plan your Rosh Hashanah menu and to bring some new modern light to Jewish cuisine. Ilana is the founder of Meal and a Spiel, a cooking school and online recipe resource. She has lived abroad in Italy, performed stand up comedy, and spent years teaching world history. She's also a contributing writer for the Jewish Journal, and her recipes have appeared in the Huffington Post, on the Daily Meal, and in newspapers across the country. It's my pleasure to welcome you to this show. Alana. Hi, Jamie. Hey, Alana. Okay, so share some of the other symbolic foods of Rosh Hashanah, if you would. I know you were raised Jewish, and I love the story that you always loved to venture to the kitchen because it was a place your mother couldn't find you. <laughs> that is right. That's My funny. mother never cooked. <laughs> um, one of the big, well, the year, Jews consider the year and time to be cyclical. So round things are one of the things that are symbolic. So we have a round challah, and it's a sweet challah. So we tend to go towards foods that are round and sweet. So you mentioned apples dipped in honey, mm. and then there's a, a round braided challah with raisins um, and honey usually as well. And then usually on Rosh Hashanah, it's a day that most good Jews are in temple, and they will eat together afterwards 
And it needs to be food that it sits well on a buffet. So a lot of the foods that we traditionally eat on Rosh Hashanah are foods that can sit around well and still taste really good, like kugel or a brisket mm-hmm. and you know cakes and chickens that have been cooked for long and slow, long and slow. And I love the idea, too, that Rosh Hashanah food to me, and I think this is definitely um, a common theme of most Jewish dishes, they always taste better the next day. There's always leftovers, and as you go into the second day of celebration for Rosh Hashanah, there's always the brisket sandwich on challah. I mean, the ultimate leftovers, I think, are definitely symbolic of not only Rosh Hashanah, but of many Jewish holidays in this light, where we feast and we celebrate and we reconnect or connect again with God. And I love that very symbolic feel. Yeah, we connect with God through food, I think. <laughs> I agree with you. Oh, no doubt. That's how I grew up, for sure. Um, your Jewish cooking philosophy is a little bit different, though. And I think it's a very elevated, uh, progressive approach, I would call it. And I, I really appreciate it, in fact, because I think it does elevate Jewish cuisine. Yeah, I mean, I grew up where, you know, you went to these different buffets at different people's houses. And the food, first of all, was not very tasty. It was a little bit kind of bland, Mm -hmm. really fatty, and really fattening, and Mm. filled with sugar. There was absolutely no concept of, you know, everything being carbohydrates and everything being sugar. Even the briskets were cooked and, like, sweetened with sugar and had, like, canned Heinz. My mother's brisket had canned Heinz. Uh, tomato sauce in it, not that she actually cooked it, but the recipe that she had somebody else <laughs> cooked, you know. So it, it was, like, really unhealthy. And um, this is, I just really am a strong believer, like, hey, we, ha- we are one of the oldest tribes on the planet. We are still thriving. One of the things that we pass down that has survived so much is food Let's start making it better. And I love that Jews are always like, we're always kvetching about, you know, who, about what's going to kill you, what's going to give you cholesterol, what's going to give you cancer, and yet all the food that we're eating on our traditional holidays are are those foods that exactly do that. So I've really taken to cleaning up Jewish food, making a brisket with like pure ingredients that almost taste like Italy, but feels like Shabbat, making a kugel that doesn't have sour cream and sugar and heavy cream in it, but instead it's made with coconut milk and a little bit of raw honey and even gluten-free noodles, but still preserving the, like, making that flavor worthy of the holiest holiday of the year, one of the holiest holidays of the year. By the way, if you've just tuned in, we're dishing on Rosh Hashanah, um, but we've posted your Rosh Hashanah menu and the recipes that apply. You make a chicken soup, you call it a little bit different, uh, a Shiksa soup, and for those that don't know, also uh, written as a chick, but pronounced as a shiksa, is someone who is not Jewish. Um, chicken make, soup, easy enough for shiksa. There you go. You chiksa make a soup, chicken soup, easy enough for shiksas. You make a chicken soup that's a little bit different, and I like that. Whether it's schmaltz, chicken fat, which makes everything taste good, or duck fat, that's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, what? first of all, I was terrified of making matzo ball soup forever because I thought it was something that you had to be a grandmother to do. I mean, I thought it was like this really complicated thing. I didn't understand how, like, you, you know, you got a matzo ball. And uh, it actually is incredibly easy, and most ingredients, recipes, will call for adding vegetable oil. Well, we know now vegetable oil, processed vegetable oil is terrible for you, and there's no flavor. So actually duck fat in small quantities is considered heart-healthy by the French, and we know that they have better, like, heart health than we do and mm-hmm. considering all the... <laughs> fat and other yummy good things that they eat. So 
yeah, I, I decided to put duck fat in there, or as the Jews call schmaltz, chicken fat, as you said. And then I love the idea of dried ginger. As mm. you mentioned, it doesn't taste like ginger. It adds a, a freshness, so it sort of brightens the matzo ball, I would think. And then lots of good fresh herbs. Exactly. That I love. I put in lots of fresh chopped herbs. It could be chopped celery leaves or chives or parsley, even cilantro. And it just yeah, exactly, lightens the whole load. Because matzo balls can be a little heavy. I mean, they're, you know, it's, you're eating dough. So it's, they, to add that freshness of flavor, is just, it just blends so well with the soup. I noticed that you make your matzo balls with matzo meal and eggs. Some people use a water base or even seltzer, and there are so many tips and tricks out there to lighten the matzo ball. Um, what secrets do you keep up your sleeve? Um, I don't really have so many secrets. I'll be honest with you. I like a fluffy matzo ball on the outside and a little chewy on the inside. Mm, a little so, bit dense, yes. Yeah, that's my preference, so I don't, I don't do anything to keep it all, you know, that's, so there's no trick needed. <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, okay, <laughs> the best brisket ever. Self-proclaimed? Self-proclaimed. Okay, but do talk about it if you would, because I might argue my mother makes a really good brisket. Well, we could have a brisket off. A I, brisket off, I like it. <laughs> Other people have proclaimed it as well. Look, what makes my brisket, I think, the best brisket ever. I mean, there's a few There's a few things. First of all, I cook it the way the Italians would cook a similar cut of meat. And I cook it in, in Chianti or red wine mm. with lots of fresh rosemary and other herbs and, you know, San Marzano tomatoes and then onion, carrot, and celery. And so... That speaks to the flavor. I mean, automatically that is going to give you like a delicious Tuscan type of flavor. And then the other really trick of brisket is, I'll tell you, my mother who didn't cook told me the first time I made a brisket, she said, don't overcook it. And that was the absolute wrong advice. You, you actually are supposed to overcook your brisket. So you want to cook it at a low temperature. Like sometimes I'll put it in the oven at 200 degrees and go to bed. And I'll wake up in the morning and I will have the softest, most, you know, delicious brisket mm -hmm. because it, it, all the flavors have become so harmoniously blended and the, the beef just falls like right apart as you touch it. Yeah, that very much reminds me of uh, like if you did shredded beef or, uh, you know, any pulled meat, like when you have an overcooked and fabulously rotisserie chicken where it just falls off the bone, mm. that's what you aspire to for brisket. And I like the idea of going to sleep and that long, slow, low braise where after the proteins in the meat actually um, compound or firm up, then they start to release. So like your mom said, don't cook it too long. No, the trick is to get to the point where the protein relaxes and now you have this tender, yummy, what is a very inexpensive cut that feeds a crowd. Exactly. Yeah, fabulous. Oh, you're it's making poor me hungry. food that becomes, you know, worthy, worthy of kings. And yes. Another reason that I really like my brisket recipe is that I, it's not sweet. Like a lot of briskets, as we mentioned before, are sweet. Mm. And I don't want sweet on my dinner plate. Like I need to save my... Uh, sugar influx for the dessert buffet, <laughs> which we know is going to be huge. Which we know is coming, right. Right. Um, <laughs> terrific recipes. I'm really uh, thought-provoking and flavor-enhanced and just absolutely tempting. Congratulations to you. I love that you're taking Jewish food to a whole new level, and I'm proud to share the recipes posted from Ilana Horwich's website, Meal and a Spiel. That's S-P-I-E-L. For those that don't know the Yiddish, a Spiel is... 
uh, somebody who, you know, goes on and talks and rants and raves. And that's exactly what we love about Ilana. Uh, you'll find the recipes posted at chefjamie.com to plan your Rosh Hashanah menu this year. And do check out Ilana's website, mealandaspiel.com, her private cooking school based in Southern California. And her recipes online are a terrific resource, bringing a whole new light, I would say, to Jewish food. A very happy Rosh Hashanah to you and your family, Ilana. Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm so honored to be here and so happy to share with your your audience. And loved sharing your passion as well. Look forward to talking soon. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this as we cover all things delicious. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. So, do you have an edible garden? Well, summer is in full bloom, and preserving the harvest doesn't have to stop with jam and pickles. Many fruits and vegetables, even herbs, can be made into delicious drinks to preserve for later. In a new book release entitled Drink the Harvest, Nan Chase and her co-author Denise Guest share juices, ciders, wines, meads, teas, and syrups to savor any time of year. From strawberry juice to pear cider, ooh, dandelion wine to spiced apple mead and citrus peel tea, you'll even discover how to create your own backyard beverage garden and how to harvest those ingredients for maximum flavor and quantity in this new and beautiful cookbook that I'm delighted to dish about. Nan Chase is here, and she's sharing her passion to drink the harvest, and I'm glad to have you, Nan. Welcome. Hi, it's great to be with you, Jamie. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I'm so glad that you've welcomed us to the wide world of what are homegrown beverages, as you call them. So can you define a drinkable landscape for us? Well, a drinkable landscape is a place that can be a balcony on a condo apartment. It can be a full-blown orchard. It can be a suburban yard or a little city plot, but it's where the gardener and the cook, usually the same person, can take advantage of every little bit of edible and drinkable things from the garden. As you said, herbs, vegetables, even flowers, plus fruits. Okay, so if you have an existing garden now, there's a bounty of things to pick from. But if you plan to grow a beverage garden, it's not too late. What would be the best things from a gardener's perspective uh, to bloom quickly and to nurture into delicious drinking things? That's a great question because there are different lead times on different kinds of plants. Mm -hmm. The one with the most immediate gratification is (laughs) herbs, any kind of herb, because you can plant them and use them on the very same day. Next, It's not really the time to plant vegetables, but you should be planning to put in small or medium-sized fruit trees, shrubs that bear fruit, and so forth that will come on within a couple of years. And then in between times, you can put in berries and uh, vines, things that have a medium-term use. Okay, so let's talk about capturing the bounty then in the moment, because time is of the essence, and especially right now at the peak uh, of summertime. 
what kind of equipment do we need for the various methods of extraction that you recommend in the book? Because there are multiple ways to extract juice and flavor from the herbs and the fruit that we bring from our garden. Um, and for some of those, you need particular equipment. And for others, you can do it in a pot on the stove. Really, most everything can be done in a pot on top of the stove. And that's the nice thing. You can get started with very basic equipment, some big, heavy pots, a colander, and we're finding instead of cheesecloth, go to the paint store and buy a five-gallon paint straining bag out of nylon, which is reusable, and that's the end of cheesecloth. Oh, that's um, so smart. That's the end of cheesecloth forever. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, cheesecloth is not that much fun to work with. No, and it um, tends to be say, costly, too. Yeah, it is costly. Uh, I would say it's important to invest in some kind of filtered water because if you use filtered water in all these recipes, you're going to eliminate any kind of a water treatment or chlorine aftertaste that might affect the quality of the product. Fascinating. Okay. So now that we have everything in place, it all starts with juice, right? The first page I turned to when I was flipping through the book was strawberry juice. And Mm. my mind went crazy with everything that I had planned recipe-wise in my head to prepare. I was thinking, reduce the strawberry juice down and make a glaze for chicken. I was thinking, I mean, Mm. oh, so many wonderful things. Cocktails came to mind immediately. But it does all begin with juice, right? It all begins with juice. And I love canning instead of freezing because with canning, the power can go out. It's got a lot and you don't lose anything. There's a long shelf life. It looks great. It's very satisfying. And it doesn't get lost in the back of the freezer. So it's funny you should say strawberries because this year we had a lot of rhubarb to work with. So we combined rhubarb as a flavor base. It's out of this world. Mm. And the juice we made out of strawberry and rhubarb, we simply cooked it up, strained it, canned it in mason jars, and then when the mood will strike, I can put together a strawberry rhubarb wine just by using that juice or, as you say, a syrup that can be boiled down. You can add things like the herbs that are pretty evergreen, bay leaf, if you grow your own, that's the greatest. Uh, basil, there's still basil in the garden. You can infuse a syrup with some of those stronger herbs for a wonderful smoky undertone. Oh, I love your ideas. Okay, so when it comes to the juice itself, take us through those different options. You use strawberries and filtered water, and then sugar, depending upon the sweetness of the berries inherent in, you know, depending upon your soil and, and the garden itself and what you're producing. And then I noticed that ascorbic acid is essential for canning when you're making juice. And it's yeah. definitely necessary, yes? Well, you don't really have to put it in. It keeps the color looking fresh. Okay. So if you had a can or a jar of juice and in a year's time you looked at it without ascorbic acid, it might be a little bit of a turnoff, even though the quality is not affected because it starts to lose its gorgeous pink-orange color. We really put almost no sugar into these juices because once you've boiled down the fruits and strained them, you often find that there is so much sugar that the only sugar you need is maybe a tablespoon per quart to just bump up the flavor, give it a little bit more of a good edge. Okay, and then once we have strawberry juice, what is the process to take it to a beautiful wine or to transform it into a syrup? Syrup is the easiest. You just boil it down for a while, and then you do add sugar, depending on the thickness of the syrup. You add 
equal parts or half as much or twice as much. Those can be bottled up and saved for six months or so without any further treatment. Wine is really easy if you start with a one-gallon glass jug. All you need is a little airlock, which is a device to keep air from coming in while it bubbles out, some yeast from a wine store, and some sugar and filtered water. Once you've filled up the gallon jug and activated the yeast, you just put it aside in a closet, and in a couple of months it's ready to uh, what they call rack or take it off the dregs. Then it can sit for a while, a couple months, and you bottle it up, which is really fun to do with mm. friends on a rainy day. I was going to say, I love the idea of inviting friends over and saying, oh, I made my own strawberry wine. As yeah. I like to say on this show, that makes you a culinary hero, Nan. Oh, well, thanks. Yes. I'll take the medal. <laughs> yeah, we had to do a lot of testing, I'm afraid, just to make sure everything was scientific. Oh, and yes. one of the big surprises <laughs> was trying things like, you can make wine out of anything. Denise got a jar of birch sap. We made wine out of that. Oh, wow. Bitchin' birch wine. It tastes like the forest primeval, little delicate fairy flavor there. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, And then your garden mint wine, I was grateful to have and to share. We've posted an excerpted recipe from Drink the Harvest, written by Nan Chase and Denise Guest at ChefJamie.com. And you can make your own garden mint wine. I'm a mint lover, Nan, so this is right up my alley. And we've posted a link as well so that you can bring the book into your kitchen. I love that you make it so very doable. The book is beautiful. And to capture the freshness from the garden, um, I do guarantee that drink the harvest will make you thirsty and that you will see your garden in a whole new light you can capture your garden's bounty by bringing drink the harvest the new cookbook release uh, and full of really informative information um, and great education into your kitchen you'll find an excerpted recipe once again at chefjamie.com and a link to the book and i thank you nan so much for sharing your passion cheers to you Thanks. <laughs> There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is where knowledge and inspiration is served up every Sunday. So food lovers and dieters alike, do you detox? Are you a juice cleanse fanatic? And more importantly, do you think that the cleanse is really working? Well, the juice cleanse business promises weight loss, body detoxification, and the treatment and prevention of everything from the common cold to cancer even. But according to recent studies, it can also do more harm than good. So here to debunk the myths of cleansing is our resident fitness guru, Lisa Lin. Lisa's passion for fitness originates from the 25 years of devoted practice in the field of personal training, health and wellness. She's best known for her 13 years as personal trainer to Martha Stewart, and she's a motivator and role model to CEOs, models, and actors. We are delighted to have you back, Lisa, of course, to share some insight and seeing that it's fall to get us back in shape, maybe, after a a summer of indulgent eating. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. We can get you together fast. Yes, I know. And I love that about you. You can. But I loved the recent piece that you sent because I receive your weekly updates and newsletter all about a metabolic boosting cleanse. And I think there's a lot of controversy about cleansing. 
Oh, huge. And I can tell you firsthand that the phone calls and the emails, I've, you know, I spent multiple thousands of dollars on the cleanse and I went to the doctor, my blood sugar's higher, and I swear that my waist actually feels more bloated and heavier. And what people don't know is that kind of abrupt stop and cleanse actually stresses your body and can elevate blood sugar and cortisol levels, which makes you store fat in the midsection. So you might be lighter on the scale because you went to the bathroom a lot, but you're not leaner and looking better. Okay, so this is definitely the basis of the conversation we've had very often, which is you don't particularly buy into the fact that drinking rather than eating is a benefit to the body. And I've heard you say it before, right? The only, you know, the only thing I suggest people drink is a protein shake in the morning. And the reason is because the the lowering of calories is critical when it comes to losing weight and, and melting off belly fat, especially if you want to do it quickly. But what you drink is what makes the difference. And a really high-grade whey protein shake with no carbs, no fat, you know, pure, just nothing but the whey, will boost your metabolism 25% and give you just what you need to keep your body and your brain and all your organs functioning, but no more so that it doesn't stop weight loss. Yet if you drink a juice, especially these, you know, put 17 pounds of vegetables and fruits (laughs) in a blender. Yes. We could go on for a whole show about molecular structure and what that really does to our body. But um, if it seems too good to be true, it is. And that's one of the things that you've mentioned before is, you know, this um, fruit-filled, fresh, fabulous shake or juice or otherwise is chock full of sugar. It spikes your sugar levels, and it's really no good to come up and then... uh, than to fall down, essentially. Um, Oh, it's worse, actually. And those cortisol levels, which are all high in all of us because we live in the real world, you know, just getting up, you know, not getting enough sleep, stress in our jobs. The last thing our bodies need is more cortisol shooting up from drinking or eating the wrong thing or not eating. And yet a whey protein shake stops cortisol. Cortisol levels are highest in the morning, believe it or not. And Mm. so if you drink the shake, a whey protein shake, within an hour of waking, you boost the metabolism, but you also flip the cortisol switch. It's a magical, anyone who's struggling to lose weight, that's the secret right there. I always remember you saying too, why would you drink the veggies when you could chomp on cauliflower and feel the chew of broccoli and actually uh, satiate the urge to eat? And I'm very mindful of that when I think of. We we release those enzymes and we chew them, and the whole act of it changes everything for digestion. So food in its most natural state is always critical. Okay, so how do you cleanse then? What's the safe, healthy way if it's not the pre-made or even the juice bars that you might go into and they'll make up a concoction for you? How do we detox right? Well, one of the first things you want to do is remove all of the excess junk that you don't need. You want it. Trust me, I'm human. I get it. But creams in the coffee, milks, sugars, sweeteners, anything extra you're drinking that isn't like you take your your coffee with multiple things in it and you swap it out for water with lemon juice all day. And you love, like your farmer's markets, I mean, are just to die for. We're all loaded with them across the U.S. Go get some really good Meyer lemon and just take a slice of that and put that in your warm water. Warm water is cathartic, meaning it'll help you go to the bathroom. So you wake up, you drink a shake, 
You have yourself a glass of hot water with lemon, and you sip it all day long. It's the exclusion of sugars and junk food, not adding into, Okay, is that the base of the cleanse then? Do you have a healthy, reasonable lunch and protein and veggies for dinner, but still consider that you're detoxing? Absolutely. And one of the things I have people who are trying to live in the real world, mothers with kids, we're going to work. We need, we need protein. So if you drink a protein shake again at lunch with a salad, the difference between that and what you'll eat is it's pre-digested. Your body takes the nutrients it needs, does what it's going to do. It makes hair, skin, nails, fuels the brain. But there's no excess fluff like you would get in chicken. There's no processing. There's no fat. And chicken takes a lot to digest. If you can think how you have to slice your knife through it to get it broken down. So that change right there alone, keeping it vegetable, pure virgin olive oil, lemon juice, sea salt. Yummy, by okay. the way. Yeah, Sounds very, good, right? very yummy. And then what's for dinner? Because I'm still looking to fulfill the craving, let's totally. say. Totally. And here's where, where it really makes it a real thing that you could not only cleanse and reboot, this reboot your metabolism, you could live on it because you can have flaky white fish. Okay. The lighter and the whiter the fish, the better for your metabolism. Now, I love with this. Vegetables. And with lots of veggies. We know that you're a veggie lover. Oh, and there's nothing wrong with cleansing, by the way, but cleansing is really the removal or absence of, not adding to and, and doing all this other stuff. So adding nature's vegetables, that is, you know, number one, the most important thing is we're having bowel movements on these, and nothing does it better than warm water with lemon, lots of vegetables. Notice I didn't say fruit. <laughs> Yes, and I mentioned that, too, when you talk about a juice cleanse. There's a danger in the sugar levels, yes? Right. Yeah. One of the things people are trying to accomplish when they cleanse is that they alkalinize their body. And why they're touting anti-cancer is, you know, across the board, your health is the best when your body is in a proper alkaline state. And the way that I just suggested people eat creates that automatically. You don't have to buy an expensive juice. You just have to eat more vegetables and fruit raises blood sugar, and can also create some acidity in the body. So when you're trying to really reduce, you know, clean out your bowels, go to the bathroom a lot, you want lots of water and lots of fresh, organic vegetables. They're delicious, by the way. Yes, they are. I agree with you. And there's a way to balance them and still satisfy the urges. Um, Totally. Leave us with a couple of your standard tips, the ones that we need to keep mindful of every day, how to power up your metabolism with a couple of, you know, sneak tips and tricks you keep in the in your back pocket oh totally well if you're struggling number one is get rid of the milk creamer sugars take them out of the coffee and start drinking coffee black okay wait i've done that by the way i have followed the lisa lynn lynn fit program and my morning espresso no my morning espresso is delicious it has no dairy and i will tell you interestingly enough i am less congested during the day Bingo. It removes mucus and congestion. And that may not be easy at first, but it becomes autopilot. So right there, you're removing sugar because there's a lot more sugar in milk than we think. Hmm. Interesting. Second, lots of salads. But notice I didn't say beans and cheeses in the salads. I said fresh vegetables, fresh vegetables. You cannot, no matter how slow your metabolism is, it'll always get boosted if you keep it clean enough. And if you're not losing a pound a day, which is my claim to fame, then you're not eating right. So you got to keep looking at your diet and dialing it in and making sure. By the way, you can do this without exercise lose that Hmm. pound a day if you're eating the way we suggest. And if you're really stuck, remove all those 
sleep aids, over-the-counter things we take, because those slow the metabolism or replace them with things like melatonin. Um, if you need help cleansing because you're not going to the bathroom, that might be a time at night with dinner to take, like I have a raspberry ketone cleanse, which helps assist and assimilate your food, but it's minimal. It's not the bulk of the plan. It's the supplement to the plan. I love your passion, and I love that you're always trying to boost our ability to get where we want to go, whether it's just a few pounds or a lifestyle change or just a daily healthy feel. That's what I'm all about. Um, you definitely jumpstart us, Lisa, and I love right. that. Everything, <laughs> thank you. Everything from the ketone cleanse to my favorite protein powder. Lisa Lynn is a longtime friend, and I will tell you her methods work. She is becoming more well known across the country than ever before with her brilliant videos and being seen in cities across the country. And you can learn more. You can find her products. You can receive her weekly newsletter so that you too can learn how to drop seven pounds in seven days with a metabolic boosting cleanse. All you need to do is go to linfit.com. It's L-Y-N-F-I-T.com transforming fitness and life for people across the country. Um, I love that you strengthen our commitment to health, Lisa, and I love to have you. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Can't wait to talk to you again. I hope you'll once again join me next Sunday at the table and continue to visit online to see what's cooking, chefjamie.com. Until next Sunday, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well.